Welcome to Tigers Tonight, a podcast dedicated to University of Memphis Tiger football. Here's your host, John Maddox. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the large program, Tigers Tonight. I'm your host, John Maddox, joined, as always, by the best co-co-host in all the land. We will start with somebody who is not in the palatial Marley Manor in beautiful scenic crime-free Hernando, Mississippi. Time for everybody's favorite game. Where in the world is Larry Marley? Well, I'm actually in South Haven, Mississippi. Uh, um, for those of you who don't, my, my daughter is uh, in the band. She's going for her, her third conference or third uh, state championship this year and so to get to the end of band season and when you get to the end of band season there is an awful lot of meetings and things you have to do and so that's what I'm doing right now is I'm meeting we're, we're at a band I I was at a band meeting and so I haven't gotten back home yet so that's where I am and now it's time for everybody's second favorite game as we will play as he is not in the palatial moss estates where in the world is Brian Moss? I am Mark Safe from Blying About a Recruit. And uh, right now, uh, we are in East Tennessee visiting the in-laws. Mother-in-law has a surgery uh, tomorrow, and uh, we're here to support. We pray all goes well with that on a serious note there. But uh, Larry made the six-hour drive on Saturday and instantly regretted it about midway through the first quarter as the Tigers go to Tulsa and fall 35-29 in a game that frankly wasn't that close. But but I, I want to just go down the stat sheet here, and you, you tell me what you think here. Uh, Memphis, it was in the first half. Uh, Memphis, it was in the first half. It was that close. Memphis had 33 first downs and Tulsa had 19. Memphis ran 99 plays and Tulsa ran 67. Memphis held the ball yep. for 33 minutes and 35 seconds, which left Tulsa 26-25. Uh, Memphis had the ball for 11 minutes and 13 seconds of the second quarter and then kind of dropped off in the second half. Memphis was 50% on third down. Tulsa was about 40%. Memphis was 3 of 4. Now, some of this was Memphis was behind, so they had to go for it. Uh, Tulsa was 0 of 1. Memphis scored 3 out of 5 times in the red zone. And miraculously, Memphis, uh, they did miss an extra point and missed three field goals, which was just brutal. Uh, that's literally 10 points you leave on the field. But somehow Memphis loses that game, and they did all the things differently, guys, that we said they needed to do. We said they needed to control the ball more, and we said they needed to run more plays than the other team. But these other mistakes just, Brian, it just seems like these mistakes just pile up at the most inopportune times. They, they do, and we also said that uh, – I know I've said that Seth Hennigan needs to uh, target more than Calvin Austin. Well, he's, he threw to 10 different receivers. And so you're, you're thinking, if you just look at the stats, you're like, oh, man, Memphis had a pretty good game. <laughs> but if you actually watch the game, it's it's, uh, it's it's very frustrating to see, you know, the, them continuing to shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, that, I mean, that's that's the theme for the past three games. Uh, and it just seems like every week they, they, they must love that feeling because they are uh, they just repeatedly keep shooting themselves in the foot. I, I just, there's no rhyme. There's no reason. You finally get your kicker uh, back from injury. And, you know, some Memphis fans think he should have stayed. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, well, because... no, I, I want to talk about that for a second. 
If, if, if we, you give me a moment, because I was there, and let me just say this: I, I got there, and I, for, for those of you who don't know, I've been to I've been to Oklahoma uh, dozens and dozens of times. So I get to Tulsa, and uh, I've, I've got little areas I like to go for a run, and I, and I went for the run, and I immediately saw it's it, the wind is jailing out of the south, which is Oklahoma. It's blowing out of the south, and um, and it's it's blustery. They said it was eleven. It was blowing way harder than that. I'm going to totally guess it was blowing between 15 and 20 miles an hour. Um, so I, I was like, wow. Like, this is – and I saw Kemp run out for that first field goal into the wind. And I'm thinking, really? Really? Like – he, so he kicks the and, and he missed it because the wind blew it like six feet to the right, and he look he didn't kick it that bad, but he and I'm like why in the blue world would you bring this kid out to kick in those conditions? Now I'm not saying he shouldn't have made it, and I'm not saying he's not, but he's 18 and this is his, he's nervous. Then he 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 makes the extra point, and then he misses a. 40 or 50 something yarder um, and then misses another extra point. Um, he comes out at the half and I'm watching and he's kicking with the wind now with the wind, he's kicking them from 45 on top of the building. That's behind for those of you who have ever been to the stadium. There's like, um, like a, a building back over there. He, and, and, and so he, and then he never kick, kick, gets to kick again. I, I, guys, this is this is all on the coaches. I'm sorry. I, I, yes, yes, he missed a field goal. Yes, he didn't look great. But my God, come on! I mean, this is not the time or place to have this kid try to kick. Because I mean, Jeb Jeb said it best. Like he he had a damn wind burn. It was windy. It was very windy, and that's very typical for Tulsa um, this time of year. It's very very typical. So. Guys, I don't know what to tell you. I, 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 I do want. I did want to talk about that. I, I think, I think, I a. I think they should have sent the kid back out there again. Um, and and b. Um, I, I, I don't know why you decide to make that decision. I just don't know. But anyway, I've I've, I've said my piece on that. So. So my two cats are laying peacefully next to one another on the cat tree by my window. And Larry is taking up for a kicker. Brian, I think these may truly be the end times. Look, he's an idiot, but, 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 but he's not the biggest idiot in the, in the room. Yeah. It just, uh, uh, I, I agree with you that, I mean, at some point you're going to have to, I know Silverville said, you know, yeah, at the press conference that, you know, he told me he was fine. I don't know. It just it, it's questionable to me to send him out there in those conditions, like like you said, with the way, you know, the the kicking problems that you that you've had. You know, it's it's easy to sit here hindsight twenty twenty and say, you know, go for it or, or something like that, but you got you got to put. I don't know. You got to put yourself in position to win. And I don't think Memphis did that this game. No, I don't think they did. And 
you know, I think one of one of the things that that kind of bothers me about all this, and and I've said this privately, and I think it's time for me to say it publicly. There are starting to be quite a few similarities between a former basketball coach and the current football situation. Memphis has no identity. The players don't seem every not that everybody's not treated equally. I don't mean that the way that sounds, but mistakes are not judged the same. Because again, if, if your kicker, and Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, Kemp was a, and I know this is not how it translates, but Kemp was like a five-star kicker. Yeah, from the Coles Kicking Academy, he was he was rated the fifth best kicker in the nation. So you send him out there, he misses a couple, and then now suddenly he gets the chain, he gets yanked, or the hook, and Doyle has to go back out, and he met. And at some point, you have to say, and I, and you he know, had no shot. By the way, he had no chance of making that field goal. None. Zero. Well, it's, well, you know, but this is a larger problem. In that, if and you know, it, big problems show up in little ways, and this is just the way this has manifested itself. If you can't decide on a kicker. You, you're in trouble because now if Kemp gets his number called and Larry, you said this perfectly, he's an 18 year old kid. He goes out there. He's like, I got to make it. 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 I got to, if I don't make it, I don't kick again. If I don't like, what the hell? Like you can't, you have to know your audience and you have to know part of being a great coach is knowing your personalities, like knowing, and that's something that, that Justin was really good at when he first got here was he wanted to play differently, but he couldn't play the way he wanted to play because he didn't have the players to play that way. So he just said, well, we're going to play this way until I can get the guys to play the way I want to play. And you even have to do that down to a game level. There is no business. I should not look at this score sheet and see, a freshman kicker that hasn't kicked six weeks into the season trying a 53-yard field goal. Like, like there's no scenario where I should see that on a score sheet. And, and I'm not one that, you know, openly questions coaches because, to be real, they, again, I said it with Mike, I'll, I've said it a dozen times, like, I'm just an old fat white guy, and I really don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm starting to see things manifest themselves in similar ways that we've seen in other programs at this university. And Larry, that's very disturbing to me because if there's one thing Memphis football has had over the last eight season, it's an identity. Everybody knew who we were and knew what we were going to do. And they just couldn't stop us. And, 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 and I don't he, see that. Well, and here's the thing, John, here's the thing, John. One thing that they've had is they have, they have played in the fourth quarter. They played with discipline and poise. That's how they've won close games. And what you're seeing now is an undisciplined team, attention to detail, lack of focus. Um, you, football has to be played with intensity and focus. You have to do and, and, and with, with, with what we call a sustained aggression, focused aggression. You cannot play it haphazard. And what you're seeing is, guys, run, look, I thought defensively they played really well for three quarters, and then they lost their damn mind. Like they, they, they played great in the third quarter. They really did. We, we didn't do anything offensively. If we had, the game would have been over. But the point, my point in all this 
is that they're not playing with toys. They're not have, they don't have any attention to detail and they totally lack discipline. It, 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 it is disturbing trends. And, and, and look, I'm going to be a million percent honest. They go right back to the head coach and or to the coaches. You have to, that, that, that's because, because they coached scared. I watched the game. They made decisions. They were pressing. And when the coaches are pressing, the players are pressing. And that just, I mean, there's a lack of poise and a lack of discipline throughout the program right now. And it is an extremely disturbing trend. Well, I, I will, I will kind of take up for the offensive coaches here a little bit. And, and Brian, I, I wasn't actually able to watch the game live, so I didn't keep up very well with it either with what I was doing. But I noticed uh, Drake Clark was in a boot. So that, that doesn't help you because that's a guy, unlike – and Brandon Thomas is banged up. I, I know they're not saying he is, but he's hurt. You can tell when he walks that he's hurt. Um, Calvin Austin, too. Calvin Calvin got twisted up pretty good on because uh, I was able to turn it on for the very end. And on the next – it was either the, the series before – or it was the series during the touchdown, the last touchdown of the game, where he's limping. Like, he can barely run. And so now you've got Calvin banged up, who got a little banged early. No drink Clark. Thomas is hampered. But then if you're an offensive coach, you have to say, I have the best damn tight end in the conference. Like, get Sean Dykes the ball. Like, I, I don't – I just – I don't understand our refusal to do easy things. He caught the ball four times for 47 yards. I will go to war with anybody that he is the best tight end in this league. He can do things that other tight ends can't. So, yes, Larry, you've said it all along. You've got to quit looking at Calvin. I mean, Calvin, hey, great game. 13 catches, 200 yards. We'd be dead without Calvin Austin. But really, four catches for Sean Dykes, really? That's all we can come up with? Is we going? I think he was targeted six or seven times. Like that's all we can come up with. Is no, he was he was only targeted four times. Four times. So and for the past three games, he's caught every single ball that's thrown his way for three games in a row. He's caught every single ball that's thrown his way. And I've asked uh, Coach Silverfield about that at the uh, after the game. And I, the answer that I, I was like, why don't you know you should use him more? And basically, you should you know, why isn't you know, Sean Dykes seen in the second half. And we get an answer that is, you know, well, you know, we were told that, you know, we're not passing the ball around. And then, you know, like tonight we had, you know, 10 people catch the ball. I was like, well, that, that, you know, I just felt like saying that's not, that, that wasn't the question I asked, <laughs> you know? And, you know, he did say that, you know, they're, they're taking what the defense gives them. And I'm thinking, you know, you, you have to find ways to get Sean Dykes the ball. He's catching everything that's thrown to him. Use him. Uh, so, I mean, if you have to move him around the field, line him up at wide out. I mean, just get him the ball. I mean, he's very useful. You don't – he does – he's a guy that probably plays a little better without his hand in the dirt. So stand him up, put him in the slot. But he's a guy that you have to, and and I'm not knocking him with this, but he's one of those guys that when he's not involved, you can tell because he'll tell you he's not involved. You have to keep Sean Dykes interested, and that's not a knock on Sean. Hell, that's human nature. 
when you target Calvin 20 out of 34 times, you throw the football. Now, I know Calvin is an outstanding wide receiver. But, I mean, 60%, you know, you throw the ball Javon Ivory's way four times. Like, uh, I, I, well, he, I want to, I want to add this. I thought there was a concerted effort by Hennigan to look at other receivers. I think there was a feeling amongst the coaches that this is just gut feel that <laughs> um, Dykes and and uh, Austin were being targeted too much because and 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 look and 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 also the first interception in the first quarter. That was that was an in route to um, to Austin. They got picked. So I mean, I think there's some valid reasons why they thought that they, they may be targeting them. But at the same time, I, I know what you guys are saying. He's a he's a generational guy. You got to get him the ball. Um, I, I, overall, I didn't have a much problem with the offensive play calling, except on one series, and that was in the second quarter. We stop Tulsa. Tulsa has a shank punt. We get the ball on their 30, and we did absolutely nothing. Zero. We didn't get one yard. And the, the same situation came up for Tulsa a couple – like a couple – because Hennigan fumbled the football. They get the ball at the 30. They drove in and scored a touchdown. Fellas, that's your ball game. That's it. That's it right there. And that's what I'm talking about, coaching – with poise, and we've seen this time and again when Memphis gets a short field and we can't capitalize on it. And, and I, I, guys, now I'll say this: I think if Brady White was coach was was a quarterback, we win that game. But he's not here. We got to move past that. And, and and I was thinking that as I was watching that series. But it, guys, that's the difference in the game. And the the bottom line is. First off, we got good push in the first two quarters with the offensive line. Tulsa made a couple of adjustments. We readjusted. We got good movement. Um, by the way, Brandon Thomas is still banged up. He's he's got his handy is still banged up. But regardless of all that, um, and I'm also going to talk about the difference between a woo woo and being banged up later. Okay, for those of you who haven't read the, uh, the <laughs> but but the bottom line is Brandon Thomas is still banged up or he would have broken a long touchdown in the first quarter. Uh, but here's, here's why I'll just add one more thing to this. Um, the lack of poise by the coaches has trickled down, and the players sense it. And, and you can see it in series like that. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things that, you know, when you, when you make a bad play, it snowballs, or, and, and it can get away from you pretty fast if you're not confident and because you know Justin talked about this all the time he said you know the hardest thing to do at Memphis was to convince the guys that we could win like that was the battle was convincing them we could win because some of the guys have been here frankly had won and didn't have any hope so we had to convince them that they could win and then now you're starting to see kind of the opposite when the coaches get tight the players get tight and you know I mean I know we were behind but I just looked over at the fourth quarter stats we ran the ball two times in the fourth quarter, two times. So Brandon Thomas was healthy enough to run the ball uh, six times in the third quarter and 18 times in the first half, but he can't carry the ball in the fourth quarter. Um, 
you know, Hennigan ends up being your second leading rusher with 36 yards um, in the game. Like you can't just, it's, it's again, I go back to what somebody said a couple of weeks ago, Brian, it is like battleship play calling. It's like, after we get through those first, I don't know how many we, we probably, we probably uh, plan 10 plays, maybe 15, but after that, it's like not only do we not know what plays we're going to call, we don't know who we're going to call them for. Yeah, it does seem you're being reactive. Instead of proactive, you're being reactive. And it just, you know, and it also seems like, uh, you know, you're coaching not to lose instead of coaching to win. Um, you know, I, I saw there were so, to me, there was a lot of positive signs out of this game. And the, the fact that you lost is, is what's frustrating because positive side, Hennigan running, you know, there, there's t- yeah. so many times that, you know, for the past couple of games, I'm thinking just take off. I mean, it was frustrating. I mean, Paxton Lynch early years was the same way. I'm like, dude, you have 10 yards in front of you. Take it. If you get five yards, six yards, it's better than zero. Yeah. Uh, you know, so take the yards that are in front of you. He spread the ball around. Uh, Rock Taylor, you know, the, the yeah. freshman getting some playing time. You know, you love to see it. <clears throat> but, and that, yes, Memphis is shooting themselves in the foot, but they're also, they are also injured. Yeah. I mean, you have injuries on the offensive line. I, I, I mean, someone mentioned on the, uh, our message boards that what about, uh, you know, Shamar Nash? Well, Nash is, you know, I think has a, a leg injury. I, I'm pretty sure he's done for the season, if not most of the season. Um, so, I mean, you are banged up more. It's it's weird because it seems that Memphis, and there's Memphis is not the only team, but it seems like teams are injured more this year than they were last year. And you would think that it would be reversed because this is somewhat, I guess, of a normal year no. where you have time. No, that makes – see, that makes perfect sense to me because you had the year last year where everything was weird and you played seven or eight games and you weren't practicing as much, so you weren't putting your body out there as much. And, you know, and, and you just – to me, that makes perfect sense. And But but your point's also valid in that we're playing a little bit of chess with some checkers right now because uh, guys like Kobe Drake and, and Rock Taylor, while it's good to see them getting time, that speaks to some of our larger problems. You know, back to a positive for Memphis, Larry. You were there. We held uh, their quarterback to 11 of 21 for 182 yards. Like, he could do nothing. Yep. But then we get gashed for 235 on the ground. And most of it was in the fourth quarter when we desperately needed to stop them, right? I mean, (laughs) they get get the the one touchdown – with a long touchdown pass, and which was basically a little screen pass, and he, then he, he broke it. We come right back down, score, get a two-point conversion. So now you're within seven points, right? It's 28, was it 28-21 at this point? And we cannot stop them. Just cannot do it. They break a long run, score a touchdown. Now it's 35-28 uh, or 21. We score again. Now, we do get the stop here, and this is where, um, you know, I wrote about this in the article, where Seth, you know, I think tried to do too much, pressed a little bit. But, but the point was, now you're within the in-two-minute drill with a freshman. I, that, that's too much to put on him. The reality is where we lost this game was the third quarter, guys. 
Yep. We held them. They, we, we kick off, hold them to three and out, get the ball back. Do, don't drive down, get to the four-yard line or 11-yard line and elect to go for it instead of take the points. Why? Why? Take your points. Let the game come to you. Get the lead. If we have the lead going into the fourth quarter, I think we win this game because you're coaching different. So you take your points. Then the aforementioned play that I talked about earlier, we held them to three and out. They punted. We get the ball on the 30. Do nothing. Miss a long field goal. Finally, they punt back to us. Seth fumbles the ball. They score a touchdown. Now, look, guys, at this point, we should be winning this game handily. And we're not. Why? I don't know. I, I, I don't. Well, I'll watch third it in downs real was time, a big issue in the sitting. second half. You were 0-3 on third, third downs. downs were a big uh, issue. Yeah, 0-3 in the third quarter and 0-3 in the fourth quarter. Did not convert in the whole entire second half. Yeah, and, and that. And, 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 and it's a huge issue. Well, it is. It's it's a major problem. And, you know, that boy, that drive, Larry, you couldn't have said it any better. I mean, when you get the ball on the 30, Memphis gets the football on the Tulsa 30 and then proceeds to go run for no yards, incomplete, incomplete, missed field goal. You know, that's a that's that's not really a backbreaker as much because then Tulsa didn't do anything when they got the ball. They only went five plays, 20 yards. But then, of course, the fumble, the next drive, and just, you know, then Shamari Brooks takes it in, you know, from the 20 and scores. And, and you're right. At that point, it's 21-13. But at that point, you know, we were kind of texting back and forth. I told somebody I was at the band contest with, I was like, it might as well be 45-3 to three at this point. Like, I just had no thought that we could come back and win. And that's really different. Like, right now, that's really that's that's really different. One other thing I do want to touch on that we're talking about, you know, positives. We've said Noah Grant needs to put the ball in the end zone more. Well, four of his five kickoffs were touchbacks. So that's pretty good. That's much better. The, but most you know, of that was with the win, John, I have to say. Well, but it do, you know what? Win. But you know what? It, it doesn't. No. Yeah, because, I know. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, it, it, it just gets there. Like, that's that's the whole point. Um, you know, it, but again, I look at these numbers. We got 19 total yards out of our kick return game. 19 from kicks and punts. And that was all on one play, Javon Ivory, one return for 19 yards. We got nothing the rest of the time. We were great at fair catching because we did that God knows how many times. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very, very frustrated right now. I, and I'm to the point where I don't see how Memphis fixes this. Um, because I feel like with a young freshman quarterback, and, and you know, look, let's be honest here too. If Memphis were to fall this week and go to three and four, I mean, the conference championship's already gone anyways. You've lost two games. But are you going to start having guys check out? Because look, we don't know. Because Brian If you don't if you don't get if you don't qualify for a bowl, yes. But but and Brian, that's real. Like you've got we, six games to go. We don't know, Brian, because we haven't been in this position in a long time. Yeah, no, it's been quite a long time. Uh, and I don't think that would happen 
but but you kind of see signs of it now uh, with the body language when you know when Memphis get you know caught, I mean Memphis turns the body uh, turns the ball over you see the body language you know like you know it, it just it it seems like the the not not necessarily the momentum but the they're just their whole body's deflate it's just you know the energy is lost and it's hard for them to regain that and you know that's why that's why Memphis really needs to come out and, and have a good showing uh, you know if if, if you, if you just stop shooting yourselves in the foot, we keep saying it. I mean, Memphis is close. I mean, they're three and three right now, but I mean, they're you're you're close <laughs> to being, you know, you know, a five and one team, but you're also close to being a one and five one and five team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that and we talked about that last week how how razor thin this is. So I mean, but you have to you know you have to look at the positive, the silver lining. I mean, if you could just you know, tweak a little bit what you're doing. You know, I, I think Memphis can turn this uh, season around, but you don't. You know, it, it's getting later in the season, so I mean, if you're not doing it by now, it, it's cause for concern. Same thing that used to be said about me with girls in college. It's, it gets laid off early if you don't straighten up and and you know get things get things squared squared away now. And the unfortunate thing is the quote easy part of the Memphis schedule is behind them at this point because now yep. you've got Navy, then you got UCF, then you've got SMU, then you've got East Carolina, then you finish with Tulane. Like, so the part that was supposed to be easy. Houston's in there too, brother. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Houston. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, we got to go mm-hmm. there. Um, so the part that was supposed to be mm-hmm. easy, we, we, we fumbled it away, so to speak. Well, literally and figuratively, we fumbled it away. We We – we and Brian said it all along. We've been our own worst enemy. Like, and but that's not just you know we've been really hard on the coaches, but I mean we got to hold on to the football. Like we can't be switching arms with the football in between the hashes at the four yard line. We, we can't you know turn away from the rush and get blindsided, even though it was coming from the sides you should see. We and fumble the ball. We can't throw the ball into double cover. I mean we can't do those things. We're not there where we can make those mistakes and and uh you know we're going to talk to mike about this in the, in the next half and in early conversations i've had with him like he's been very gracious about memphis and saying you know look they're they're still a great team and and you know they're they're doing you know they just need to fix and we're broken you know and he started to sound like lou holtz i mean but the problems <laughs> memphis is real like our problems are real and i had somebody ask me the other day well why is the tone of the podcast changed so much because some we're close to hitting the panic button because there's a problem. Like there is an actual problem. And I don't know where it is. Like I I think that's my biggest frustration is every well, the, the frustration, John, is it's not in statistics. There's there's no statistic that you can look at and one week it's something one thing. Yep. Next week it's something yep. else. And it's like trying to put your finger in a dike. And let me tell you what this all comes down to. Discipline lack of of discipline and lack of attention to detail that's what it comes down to i mean i'm sorry but that's the players have to to some of this is on the players they have to be poised they have to play i hate hate to keep using that word but there's really no other word to say it like we know know that the whole thing read the room right we said that the other day Well, well look at your surroundings look at the situation when 
I remember Coach Ragland used to say this all the time. There, if, it's, if it's halfway through the second quarter and you want to make uh, uh, a pass interference penalty, you know, that, okay, fine, Larry. That, you know, we, we can overcome that. But when you make a pass interference penalty with three minutes to go in the fourth quarter to put them in field goal range, we're screwed. Yeah. So you've got to know the situation. Know what you're, you know, what are you facing? What is the option? And, and all of this goes back to attention to detail and playing with, you know, poise and a sense of purpose. You know, and you got to, you know, it, it, it's staying focused for 60 minutes. It, it just is. And, and I'm sorry, but this all goes back to, you know, your coaches have got to keep you in that moment. That's what their job is. And I hate to keep throwing it back on them, but I, for me, that's what it looks like. And, and I, can't, I hate to say that, but I, I've kind of mentioned that. I wrote an article that basically said the thrill is gone, like the, the honeymoon's over, and it's over. He's got to show that he can rise to the occasion. And I'm going to just lay this out there as bluntly as I can say it. There was a whole bunch of people, and it wasn't just Larry Marley and it, it wasn't just John Maddox. There was a whole bunch of people around Memphis and in this athletic department that were like, this guy's never been a coach. He's never done, he never had a real job other than at Memphis. Can he rise to the occasion? And those people are chirping. I'm hearing them. And it's real. It's like we're seeing erosion. And can he? Get those players focused. And I think, Brian, you said it. You know, he didn't like the questions he was getting. You know, hey, look, I'm sorry. Put on your big boy pants because this is big-time college football. And I mean, right? I, mean, yeah, I guess you can expand on that a little more. Yeah, just uh, it just seems like, uh, you know, Coach Silverfield, I mean, I, I mean, he feels it. I mean, obviously, he's getting harder questions than, you know, than he ever has before. Well, that's, there's good reason for that because Memphis is in a position that they haven't been in a very long time. So, you know, if, if you don't want the hard questions, you know, you got to improve the performance. Yeah, and, and again, you know, my my – sorry, I, I'm I'm just so frustrated because – you know, I look out there and I see Calvin Austin and I see Sean Dykes and I see Seth Hennigan and I see J.J. Russell and I see Quindell Johnson and I see Greg Rubin and I see, you know, I'm looking across. I see Dolan Parham, who's one of the best offensive linemen we've ever had. And, and I'm just looking across this thing and I'm going, how in the hell are we three and three? Like, and, and Larry's right. Like, the most frustrating part about it is, well, this week the pass defense let us down. Well, we fix that, and the next week the run defense lets us down. Well, we fix that, and the next weekend we turn the ball over. Well, but then we've only fumbled it. We hadn't thrown interceptions, and then this time we throw two interceptions. And it's like it's every week it's something different, and, and that is the most frustrating thing to me. And, I, and I'll tell you it's also the most difficult thing to fix. I'll give you a weird analogy here, but whenever the power goes out and I look at the map and it says – one outage has 5,000 people. Well, that gives me hope that my power is going to come on very soon. I don't want to look at that map and see there are 30 outages with 300 people out because I know what that means. That's door to door and 
That's a lot of little things. And, and that's the problem with Memphis right now is it's all these little things that are just cropping up at the damn absolute worst time. And that affects the play calling and affects the execution. And just, it seems to never, it's a never ending trail of frustration. And, you know, we're not, you know, I've seen this in the past. Stop with the Larry Porter mess. Just, just stop. We're, we're not at that point. We're never going to allow this football program to get to that point ever again. And that's not just, oh, because then you got the all you got to do crowd, which is just fire everybody and then start over. Well, you're not doing that either. So, we got to fix what we got to fix. And if Memphis doesn't fix it in a hurry, six wins are starting to look awful lean coming into the season, Larry, when, you know, we were debating back and forth, is Memphis going to be an eight and four or a 10 and two team? And now I I just don't see six on the schedule. It's going to be tight. And I mean tight. You lose this week and you're staring a four or five win season dead in the face. And I mean dead in the face because here's the reality. Um, you got ECU. You, you played well against Tulane at home. Um, after that, I mean, and, and, and by the way, those are by no means gimmies, okay? But, but, but you, should, you, 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 you would think you have a good chance there. But after that, you're going to have to upset somebody. And those are just facts. You're going to have to go to the bounce house and win. You're going to have to go, you know, come beat, beat a really good SMU team at home. Or you're going to have to go to play a really good Houston team in Houston and hope they cook it. <laughs> I mean, that's reality because you got six, you know, you got six games to go, including this week. And, you know, guys, you look at the schedule for those games. Oh boy, right? Well, well, and, to and John, to yeah, steal your, to yeah. steal your line, yeah. Oh boy, boy. Um, you know, and, and to steal somebody else's thunder. Um, some of you may probably don't even know who Alexi Lawless is, but that's not really germane to this point. But he has a very famous rant. He's a former U.S. men's national team soccer player. He's a U.S. soccer legend, and he has a very famous rant. Uh, and a Rutgers legend. Oh, oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. One of the Scarlet Knights. Yes. I forgot about that. So we got our, we got our uh, Rutgers mentioned in the podcast here, our gratuitous Rutgers mentioned. Um, but he had this famous rant in a game where Memphis law or Memphis Lord, where the U S men's national team lost to, I think it was Trinidad and Tobago or Panama. It was a terrible loss. Like it was a loss that should never happen. This has been several years ago. And he just went on air and he just called him out by name. Like he just went down the roster and he said, and if I didn't call your name, then you haven't been good enough for me to be bothered with. And that's frankly kind of where I am with this football program is this program has more resources than they've ever had. We could argue, and and I'd probably lose the argument um, on paper. More resources than the three teams we just lost to. Let me add that. Way more resources than the three teams we just lost to. More resources. Uh, This is on paper one of our more talented teams. Um, Just from a pure number standpoint, a lot of talent on this team. And they've been given everything that they've been asked, that, that they've asked for. And then these are the results we get like that. That's the frustrating part. And that's the part where 
accountability comes into play. And a lot of people mistake criticism, you know, bad criticism for accountability. Look, we're all accountable for our jobs. Like if people, if I wrote an article and 50 people unsubscribed from TSR as a result of my article, then I should be held accountable for that. But, you know, when you are a Division I FBS football coach, and I don't even know how much he makes, I don't even know what level, you know, of, of salary. It's totally escaped my mind at this point, but it doesn't really matter. But that's part of the game is you get asked the tough questions when things aren't going well. Now, yeah, we're going to lob softballs like the media scrum tomorrow. I'll be very blunt about this. The media scrum tomorrow night at Memphis Madness will by most accounts and most likely be a bunch of softballs being lobbed up to Penny Hardaway to dunk home. But, you know, that there's a reason for that. And and I just think that there, there seems to be a lack and of – Hey, John, I want to add one thing. Penny Hardaway would not give two figs when any, any of those people thought, I mean, and, and the fact, I hate to say this, but the fact that it bothers Ryan bothers me because yeah. do you think, do you, let me, let me say this. Do you think any of just pick your Ken coach Ken when other than his AD doing something stupid, do you think coach Ken gives two flips what the media in Washington or Annapolis or whatever thinks, hell no. No. Coach Ken does what Coach Ken does. Well, I don't. I don't think Ryan cares what we think. It just, uh, you know, it just seems like um, obviously any coach would would rather have the softball questions. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, you that's get paid the big. You get paid yeah. paid the big bucks to answer. You know, the the hardball questions and and honestly, the, you know, there's been people on my Twitter feed that's saying that you know we're not even hard enough. Mm-mm. There, there's no. some people that w- really want to go in hard on, on these coaches, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think, think that helps anything. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, you can ask a hardball question without like being derogatory or like being mean or anything like that. You can just just ask a you know just a sensible question, I guess. You know, well, and I think we're asking sensible questions. You know, and that goes back to the thing that drives me the craziest. Well, Larry sucks. Well, that's not good enough. Why does Larry suck? Like, well, I don't know. He just sucked. Well, then shut up. Like, your opinion's not valid. If if you don't have, you know, just just to jump on a coach, like, there there's no reason for that. But if you come crack and say, Coach, I know we were behind, but we only ran the ball one time in the fourth quarter or twice, sorry. You know, what was the mindset there when we only – and, yes, I realize we were behind, but – we couldn't run the ball five times is, is Brandon hurt. And then you're going to get the answer of, well, he's day to day. He's banged up. Well, that's fine. That is what it is. That's always going to be the answer, but you still have to ask the question. And that's not us being mean. That's not us being uh, uncaring. That's not us. And you know, the other side of it is when we ask quote softball questions, our job is not to be cheerleaders of the program. None of our job. Nobody in the, that has a media pass should be a cheerleader. That's there should be no applause in the press box when you're tweeting from games. There should be no, uh, you know, no um, tweeting. Go Memphis. Go Tigers. Go. Like that's not our job. Our job's not to cheerlead. Our job is to report. But that reporting, like I didn't watch. I cannot imagine Nick Saban's press conference on Monday was fun for anybody. I, I just can't imagine 
anybody had a great time on Monday in Nick Saban's press conference. Um, and that leads me to my last point here, and I'll kind of wrap up with this. Like, if you want to quit being asked questions about things that you just don't think, quote, you can control, as crazy as that sounds, um, win damn ball games. Like, uh, that, that fixes it. Like, if Memphis would have gone out and scored, stopped them, and scored again and won that game, nobody would be quite asking those questions this week because everybody adheres to the John Maddox rule of football. You got two columns, and you just want more on the left than you have on the right, and at the end of it, nobody's going to remember how that one on the left got there and how that one on the right got there. They're just going to say, all right, Memphis was four and four and eight. That wasn't a good season. Well, they lost four games by left. Nobody cares. Like, people don't care. And, and that's the danger with Memphis. And I noticed it last week a little bit. And, again, this is anecdotal and correlation does not equal causation and all that stuff I've been talking about for other reasons for the past year. The UTSA game thread on, on TSR's our private message board I want to say there were 70 or eight or a hundred and something, you know, posts in that thread. Then the Temple game, it was like 80. Then last week, it was like 60. And this week, we're off to a roaring start with four. And I checked right before the podcast. And that is the danger that you're running here in Memphis. It's not that people hate you. It's people stop caring. It's what killed Tubby Smith. It's what killed Josh. It's what has killed a couple football coaches here. People just quit caring. They say, well, I'm just not going to – I'm not going to get mad about it because it's not worth getting mad, especially, Larry, when you see the same problems again and again. You're like, well, if they don't care enough to fix it, I don't care enough to show up. That's, that is completely correct. Like you it, – it, it, it's more than apathy. It, it almost becomes – I mean, it is apathy – but it becomes a, a sense of, you know, you guys um, are, are, are not entertaining. And, and that's where you get dangerous. Because, look, there's a certain amount of just entertainment you get from going to the game, right? The atmosphere, the, the, the whole thing. But, but when the football's not entertaining, which is exactly what it, it was Saturday, it was not entertaining. It wasn't fun. It was painful to watch. Um, that is really, really dangerous territory, fellas. Because at the end of the day, football is entertainment. It, that's what it's about, right? It's an entertainment. So, guys, I, I'm, I'm really worried that um, – you, you, off air, we describe this as somebody who is – is trying to grab Play-Doh and they keep squeezing and the Play-Doh keeps going through their fingers. And, um, and, and to me, that's exactly what's going on. I mean, they're trying to catch the wind and they don't know how to do it. Well, and, and speaking of the entertainment value of football, while this is one of the things Larry and I most vehemently disagree about, I think ever, uh, while Larry loves this week, this is his favorite week of the year, I would rather watch grass grow besides paint cans that are drying in the field than watch Navy play a football game. But Larry loves it. So, Larry, this week's that, for you, buddy. Not, no, what, you know what I like? 
you know what I like about it? That it's the polar opposite of all the other teams that we play. And, and I think it adds diversity to our conference in a way that you don't see in a lot of the other um, – like the SEC, all the teams basically have to play the same way or they get killed, right? Um, but in the AAC, there's a bunch of different ways to skin a cat. And Navy does it a different way, which I think is amazing, and I, I, I love that. Not that I enjoy playing Navy. But I enjoy the fact that it's diverse. It is the opposite of entertaining for me. But when we come back, we will talk with Mike James of themidreport.com. They are our rivals uh, cohort for the Navy football program. We'll talk with Mike about Navy and some of their early struggles and how they've kind of righted the ship in some ways. And we'll talk about what Memphis needs to do to win on Thursday at the Liberty Bowl. We'll do all that when we come back here in just a few minutes. You're listening to everybody, John here. And while Memphis Tigers football is, of course, one of my passions, happy to host Tigers tonight, I do have a second passion, and that is travel. I'm a full-service travel agent, and I love to help families make their next great memory through an unforgettable vacation. Maybe that's a Caribbean cruise. Maybe it's a cruise somewhere like Antarctica. Maybe it's a idea of a great vacation is just laying by a beach at an all-inclusive resort or maybe you've been dreaming of that trip to Disney. I'm here to help you make those dreams come true no matter what type of vacation you're looking for. Hey, for Tigers Tonight listeners, I've got a special deal. If you book a vacation with me anytime during the Memphis football season, I'll give you 25 bucks off your vacation just for mentioning you heard about me on Tigers Tonight. In addition, I'll waive my normal planning fee of 50 bucks. That's just for our listeners here on Tigers tonight. So just shoot me an email over at john at travelbyjohn.net and we'll get the planning process started. Again, that's john at travelbyjohn.net. A significant fall cold front is in the offing for this weekend, but it won't be here yet by Thursday night. This is your MemphisWeather.net Tigers Tonight first forecast. As the Navy midshipmen come to town Thursday to take on our Tigers at Liberty Bowl Stadium, Game time is 6.30, but if you're heading off, uh, getting off work a little bit early on Thursday and heading out to the Liberty Bowl to tailgate, expect a humid afternoon with uh, highs around 85 degrees, partly sunny skies and about a 20% chance of rain. So winds will be out of the south at about 10 miles an hour. That will carry into the evening hours, warm conditions with a game time temperature around 78. Mostly cloudy skies, most of the rain should still remain to our west though throughout the game. MemphisWeather.net is your number one independent source of no-hype weather information for the Memphis Metro. For routine updates during good weather and wall-to-wall coverage when those skies darken and storms approach, download our mobile app or follow us on Twitter. We are Memphis Weather One. I'm U of M alum and meteorologist Eric Proceus. Go Tigers! And welcome back, everyone, to Tigers Tonight. We are joined now by Mike James, who is the publisher of The Mid Report. And he is at Navy Bird Dog on Twitter. And he is our go-to guy for all things Navy football. Mike, how are you this evening? I'm doing great, John. How are you? Doing excellent. Um, just looking through some Navy stats here this afternoon, getting ready for the show tonight. And uh, we were talking there briefly before uh, we went on the air here about how you look at the stats and, man, you know, Malcolm Perry is a guy that's obviously sorely missed and realize now how much he meant to this team, but also had an injury at the quarterback position to kind of start to to kind of fall in the middle of the year. And Navy's just really struggled, it seems like, to recover. But they they seem to be moving a little kind of in the right direction part of the time. 
Yeah, a little bit. You know, just to start the year um, in fall camp, there is a lot of talk about the quarterback competition between uh, Ty Lavatai and Xavier Arline. Um, they were kind of neck and neck, and we weren't really sure who was going to uh, be under center uh, for the opener. It ended up, ended up being Lavatai, but he got hurt. You know, he got got leg whipped. Um, he was lost for a couple games. Um, Arline came in, struggled at first, particularly against Air Force. Um, looked a little bit better against Houston. Um, to the point that folks might have thought that, that the job was his, but then Lavatai comes back and starts against UCF and does a great job. Then last week, uh, the offense kind of regressed again. Um, Lavatai had a tough time making a lot of the option reads. You know, it's hard to, you know, people got to remember these guys are, it's two sophomores duking it out. They got a lot to learn. You know, it was only his Lavatai's third game as, as a starter. So, you know, he'll pick it up as the season goes on. But yeah, when you're talking about when you've, you've had, it's not just Malcolm Perry, you look at the long line of quarterbacks that, that Navy's had, um, you know, it's, it's a lot to live up to. Um, and it's, you know, it's such a key position. I mean, in any op- offense, obviously, but particularly when you're running the option, everything has to go through the, the quarterback on, and even in the running plays, you know, you can't just turn around and hand it off. It's your job on every single play to get it to where it needs to go. Um, so there's a lot of uh, pressure on that guy. And, you know, sophomores going to have to grow up quick. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't um, talk about the um, Ivan Jasper situation that, that, that sort of mushroomed up um, this year. And it was a really odd situation. And I'll give a real quick backstory. Um, Essentially, the athletic director, Chet, and, and I hope I say his name, Gladchuk, did I say it right? Um, right. Uh, essentially fired the offensive coordinator, um, and, and Coach Ken, you know, went over, basically over his head and, and fired him. Then, then, of course, Jasper is brought back as the, as the quarterback's coach. Is, yeah. is, there, is there dysfunction? I mean, I, I think, I mean, I'd be remiss if we didn't at least talk about that. I don't know if, if it's, I mean, it certainly looks like dysfunction uh, from the outside. I don't think it's, it's a historic, it ha- hasn't really been a historic problem. You know, you look at Navy's had a, you know, between Chet Gladchuk and Ken Yamatololo, you have two very successful people that have done very well in their positions um, and they're big personalities and they butt heads. Um, Gladchuk was wrong. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, he should not have gone over his head coach's head for for a number of reasons. Um, one of them being, if you're making on-field decisions for your football coach, those you own those decisions now. I mean, those if the offense messes up and it's and you fired the guy, you didn't give the head coach, coach a chance to deal with it, those are now your problems. Um, so cooler heads prevailed. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that things aren't necessarily hunky-dory. I mean, everyone likes to think that everyone gets along great in their um, – you know, within their athletic departments. But the, the fact of the matter is, and Navy's not alone in this, is that there's a lot of pressure. You know, people um, make bad decisions under pressure sometimes. But the important thing ultimately is that cooler heads prevailed and, and Jasper is, uh, is still on the staff. And, that's, and going back to the, the last question, the last thing we talked about, again, you got two sophomore quarterbacks that you need to develop no matter what happens next year or, or the rest of this year you can't get rid of their quarterback coach, you know, in, in the middle of this, you know, two games into the season, you you got to work with them and keep on letting them get better, keep on improving. 
Um, so it's fortunate for everyone involved that, uh, that Jasper has remained on the staff. When you take a look at the uh, Navy, they, they're coming on strong. I mean, they're definitely better than their one and four record because, you know, they, they were close to uh, beating Houston. I mean, I, I think they, you know, fell apart in the second half. Obviously, they beat UCF and, and nearly beat SMU. You know, what are you seeing in this team that uh, they've, they've turned that corner and, you know, could very well, you know, uh, surprise some teams uh, at the end of the year? Yeah, right now the defense is playing pretty well. Um, you know, it's 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 tough to, to see that always statistically when you're playing teams like, like UCF and SMU that can, you know, put up a lot of yards and points. But, you know, the, the, the defense played well enough to beat SMU. You know, they got seven points. They got a turnover, a fumble return for a, a touchdown. Um, you know, they held SMU to 80 yards rushing. They were averaging 215 coming into the game. Um, picked off uh, Tanner Mordecai in the end zone. You know, held them to two for 11 on, on third downs. You know, the, the defense played really well. Um, and I think if, you know, it's kind of funny for a long time, Navy's calling card was always their offense. You know, the triple option has always been kind of the Navy's thing. Um, but the defense has always struggled, particularly early in the year, because all spring and all fall, when they're going ones on ones, you're going against the option and not working on your base stuff as much. So it takes a little bit to get, get up to speed over the course of the season. Um, and what Navy fans would always kind of fantasize about was, wow, if we just got a defense to match our offense, then the world is our oyster. Well, they kind of have that defense now, and you know, they're playing pretty well, but the offense just isn't, isn't up, to, up to, to, to par yet. Um, so as these young quarterbacks develop, maybe you can see, you know, we already saw them surprise UCF. You know, it's possible that as the season progresses and the quarterbacks come along and the rest of the offense kind of hopefully starts executing at a, at a higher level, then maybe the full 60 minutes can come together and you can see uh, some, some wins get strung along, but you know, the margin for error really isn't there anymore. If you look at the, the schedule coming up, they're playing Cincinnati and Notre Dame and they already have four losses. So if you want to get to a bowl game, you know, you got to win everything else. Um, and that's no easy task, especially when you're playing a team like Memphis, who again, can put up a bunch of, a bunch of points in a hurry. I think one thing that that has always kind of not really surprised me, but it's it's kind of interesting that Navy has been. But when you think about it, it makes sense. They've been very good against the run on defense, and that that can cause some struggles in this league with having so many pass heavy teams. Uh, speaking of the defense, talk about Diego Fago and and how kind of he's kind of seems like he's the engine that makes the defense go, averaging almost ten tackles a game. Yeah, he really is. Um, and it's one of the, the things about the nature of his position in Brian Newberry's defense. So he's got to run sideline to sideline. You know, he, you got to be able to move. And for someone with his size to be able to to run the field as well as he did. I mean, it's it's legitimate, you know, NFL potential on his point. And at, at the linebacker position, that's a little bit unusual at, at the Naval Academy. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a fiery guy. You know, you always hear the cliche high motor, but he does not turn off. And sometimes it would actually be better if he did cool it a little bit. But he you know, he's the definition of all gas, no brakes. Um, and when you you look at um, how he's used, you know, he'll in Newberry's defense, everyone has to be able to rush. But that also means that everyone has to be able to drop back in coverage. And he can do both and he can make plays in, in all phases of the game. And you can see it statistically, you know, he's 
he's that has that all conference potential. So last question. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, uh, so one of the questions we've, we've basically talked about um, for every every uh, all of our visitors has been conference realignment, and um, for all the world, it looked like Air Force was at least one of the teams that the AAC was targeting, um, and Air Force, of course, decided to stay in the Mountain West. Were Navy fans? excited about the possibility of Air Force and were they disappointed that Air Force ultimately decided not to join? So there are good and there is good and bad when it comes to the idea of Air Force being in the American. Um, on the good <laughs> side for, for Navy, the, the best thing would be the fact that it would free up a non-conference game. You know, with Navy, they play Army, Air Force and Notre Dame non-conference every year. So you get one FCS team, or in this case, Marshall this year, but you get one other game to kind of play around with. And other than that, your schedule is locked in. Getting Air Force into the conference would, would free that up and you have a little more scheduling flexibility, which, which you know, a lot of fans would, would appreciate. Um, but on the, 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 the downside is that I don't think Navy would want a second option team in the conference. You know, you don't want to get more teams working on their option defense more often because they're going to see it more. <laughs> um, so there's, right. you know, there's, there, there's pros and cons. I think ultimately though, in the big picture, when it comes to conference realignment, you have to get the best brands that you can. And, you know, when you're looking at what's left in the, the group of five, you know, when it comes to good brands, there aren't too many and surface academies in terms of a national, you know, national name recognition are probably as good as you're going to get. Um, so in that sense, Air Force would be good. Um, and when, you know, Navy is, is all in on the American Athletic Conference, you know, you, you hear a lot of speculation about, well, does Navy really want to be in there? Yeah, they do. There is a reason why they joined and those reasons are still valid. Um, so what's good for the conference is good for Navy. And if Air Force is joining, I think Navy would get behind it. I was going to piggyback off on that uh, because a couple of years ago, before uh, the pandemic hit, uh, you know, UConn left the American, and I asked the uh, Navy players at the AAC Media Day, who would they want to see replace UConn, and all of them at the time uh, mentioned Army, and I didn't know how <clears throat> Navy fans would feel about that, and I was like, well, what about the Army-Navy game? You know, you can't play that after, you know, the AAC championship game. And they were all in favor of moving the Army-Navy game to the first game of the season. How, what would Navy fans think about that? Because uh, to me, that was, I mean, that's not like some type of radical idea. Yeah, that would be a disaster. Um, there's, when you have, so, so TV, TBS moved it to the second, and actually Mike Oresco was heavily involved in this, moved it to the, the instead of the first weekend in December to the second weekend in December, to take it away from the conference championship games and give it its own time slot. And it is increased in value quite a bit having being the only game on, on television. Um, it would be a bad idea financially. It would be a bad idea recruiting wise, you know, having that singular spotlight um, has you know done a lot of good for, you know, having that visibility for both programs. Um, and also for the conference, you know, it's a, it's, it's a probably the highest profile game, not even probably it is the highest profile game, you know, television property for, of any conference member, and you want to keep it that way. Um, there's, 
I, I get frustrated sometimes because I think that Navy fans and a lot of a lot of people in the whole Navy sphere think a little bit too much about Army when it comes to things. I, I think that there's a lot of what not everything has to revolve around Army or Army Navy. But that said, you do have to protect, you know, you, you have to recognize what you have and protect what you have. And making a radical change like that would be a very bad thing for, for both Army and Navy. You know, one of the things, the other things that's always intrigued me about Navy is, and this year it's a little different, it doesn't seem as much, but just the inordinate amount of talent that they get out of Tennessee. And I noticed this year it's kind of expanded down into Mississippi, got a couple kids from Oxford, Dyersburg, of course, Memphis, uh, Nashville, Germantown. So what is it that about this area, other than I guess we have a lot of good prospects, but Navy seems to just do very well recruiting in especially the Mid-South area in this part of the country. Yeah, they do. Um, and it's not just a quantity, but the the specific players that come from, from Tennessee. You know, Malcolm Perry came from Tennessee. Keenan Reynolds came from Tennessee. You know, it, it's quantity and quality that, that, that comes from there. And I actually – so the coach for Navy that recruits Tennessee is offensive line coach and run game coordinator uh, Ashley Ingram. Um, and – there were a couple of things that kind of drew them to there. So one of the things that drew them originally to Tennessee was that they felt that the area was under-recruited. Um, they saw, you know, everyone goes to Texas, everyone goes to Florida. They didn't think that the amount of effort that, that uh, other programs were putting into Tennessee was, uh, was equal to the level of talent that was there. Um, so they were kind of went, tried to hit them where they ain't. But when Navy was playing in the Liberty Bowl, Liberty Bowl back in 2019, I asked Coach Ingram, you know, what else it was about Tennessee and Memphis in particular. And one of the things that he said that that draws him to Memphis is that there's a very um, there's there's a really considerable private school culture there. You know, a lot of the private schools are, are big football powers there. And when you have that, you have uh, you, you have guys that have the kind of academics that can end up getting into a place like the Naval Academy. So they, they felt that, that they could, um, you know, they, they could really make, make some hay there. And what they found was that they got there, they see the private school culture, but they found a lot of the same things in the public schools too, that they didn't necessarily expect. So um, the, the, with the academics and the private school, you know, you got to be able to get admitted to the place like the Naval Academy. It's, it's not hard. And, and when you can, expand your recruiting pool like that at, a, at a, in a place that has a big private school culture, um, then you, you can, you know, you can get a lot of talent to a service academy. Now all three service academies re recruit Memphis pretty hard. So the, I'm curious, um, last year we saw, uh, it's kind of an odd year with the COVID and this year, um, the Naval Academy and all of the armed forces have been required to be 100% vaccinated. Has that affected? And you haven't lost any players, but you did lose a coach to it. Have, do you have you seen any cultural issues or things like that? I, I'm curious because, of course, obviously Memphis. We don't. All we know is that most of us, most of them are supposedly vaccinated. Have you seen anything? I'm, I'm just curious because Navy is such a, uh, because it's part of the armed forces, it is very different in terms of um, requirements. Yeah, there, there hasn't been anything publicly, um, and at least not with, with the players. Um, 
we, we actually lost two coaches. We lost one on field coach and then one of the, uh, the, 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 uh, recruiting coordinators actually, um, was dismissed as well. Um, so, and I mean, it's, it's a loss. I mean, you can't, can't deny it. Um, but in terms of any, um, internal strife or any, anything, nothing that's played out in public, um, in certain, really nothing that I think has, has made any difference on the field. You know, Navy's got issues, but I, I don't think any, any kind of uh, locker room um, separation uh, on uh, over vaccines or has really played any, any part in anything. Last question for me is, you know, we all hear about, you know, the, the army Navy game, you know, being a big rivalry, who does Navy view in the conference as a big rival? You know, that's a good question. Um, it's one of the things that I think is we kind of lost a little bit when divisions went away, because I think it's, it's tough to, um, you know, Navy has a long history. One of the reasons why Navy joined the, the conference to begin with was they used to schedule Tulane all the time. They would, you know, they schedule SMU, you know, they schedule Temple. And what would happen is that a lot of these schools just didn't want to play Navy anymore. So Navy joined the conference because it was full of schools that they were already playing and they want to keep playing, which is why when people suggest that Navy might go back to being independent, they're not because the schools that Navy wants to play and fill their schedules with, those are the ones that are in the American now. Um, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know if any, if any school has, has is really emerged as a rival in a traditional sense, but you, there have been some that have kind of started coming up, you know, Tulane was becoming a, a pretty good rival for, I mean, those games were, felt like service academy games. Coach Numatololo would always comment on that because they were always close. Um, um, and Navy has a long history with Tulane. Um, as Navy and SMU play for the Gans Trophy, which no one really knows, but it's there. You know, it's, it's, that's something. I think Navy and Memphis have had some really great games over the years. Um, especially playing in the Liberty Bowl, you know, in prime time, those have been some some games that Navy is, you know, their first year in the conference uh, in Memphis is ranked 13th in the country. Navy comes in and win. That was a huge moment for for, you know, in the last 30 years of Navy football, because it put it instantly put Navy in the conversation for the Cotton Bowl, which is a position that they hadn't been in um, even in the discussion since the Staubach days. Um, so, and one of the things that I think the American Athletic Conference has kind of been able to set it, itself apart with, uh, from some of the other leagues has been the ability to generate those kinds of games within the conference. Everyone likes to play an SEC team or, or a Big Ten team come to their place, but you need that same kind of energy when you have conference teams and playing big conference games. And you know, Memphis has played, has had games like that. Um, Houston has had games like that. UCF obviously has had games like that. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's with realignment, it, we talked about that before. Um, it's, it's a big loss. You got to find other schools that can generate that, um, that, that kind of energy. I don't know if there's, if there's any school out there other than, than Air Force maybe to create that kind of rivalry energy um, to bring into the conference, but uh um, hopefully, if it's if not with Navy, then then with uh, with some of with at least one other school, you want you want someone to, who can who can bring that kind of energy. So, what does Navy have to do to win on Thursday night? They gotta 
I mean, it's it's really simple. It's really the same thing that that uh, you know has, has kind of plagued them all year. They they got to run the option right now. Navy is an option team that is not running the option very well, and the results speak for itself. Um, it's been a different problem every week, but it's always been a problem. You know, you have sometimes it's penalties, sometimes you know it's a big special teams blunder, sometimes it's um, you know the quarterback's not making the right read, sometimes the offensive line isn't making the right blocks. Everything's got to just got to work itself out so that the Navy can run the ball, control the clock and limit the number of possessions in the game. You know, if you look at, um, you know, a, a team like, like Memphis can score a bunch of points, but they're not infallible. You know, you know, they've, they've made, well, yeah, you know, they, they've, they've made their share of mistakes. And, but if you're playing fast, you have the time to make up for those mistakes because you know, you're going to get the ball back. Uh, what Navy needs to do is control the clock and there's drives, you know, score once they get into the red zone and limit the number of, of opportunities that, that Memphis has to recover from those mistakes. Um, if they do that, they have a chance, but so far this year, they have just have not been able to do that for uh, a full 60 minutes. So Mike, tell everybody how they can find your work. You can find me at themidreport.com on the Rivals Network. Um, you can see me uh, at Navy Bird Dog on Twitter or at the Midreport. Awesome. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to let you drop off now. We appreciate your time and uh, good luck to the mids the rest of the way. Pleasure. Love talking to you guys every year. Thanks. So that's Mike James with themidreport.com. And gentlemen, as we move on here and move uh, into Navy Week, we spent a, quite a bit of time in our first segment talking about the Tulsa game. So I'll poise, Larry, I'll start with you. I'll poise to you the same question I had just had for Mike, except the other way. What does Memphis have to do to win this game on Thursday? They have to not play with poise, which is something they haven't done all year. And they have to, well, in the last three games. And, and they have to um, stop making poor decisions um, coaching and playing. Um, let the game come to them. Don't press because that's exactly what they're doing right now. They're pressing and um, they do need to play well. Navy is a team that if, if, if you um, don't play your, your best game, they will beat you simply because again, like, uh, like he was just saying, you don't have that many options, opportunities with the ball. So, they need, to, they, they, they need to run the ball better than they have. They need to, um, every time they get in the red zone, take your points. Take, with Navy, it's okay to kick field goals if you get in the red zone. Kick your field goals. Make your field goals. Good gosh, please. And, and, and more than anything, defensively play with discipline, which is something that we have. Honestly, guys, we have not played with discipline on either side of the ball all year. So we need to play exactly the opposite of how we have the last three games. Brian? Yeah, quit shooting yourself in the foot, first and foremost. Uh, I mean, this it's, it's become a problem the past uh, three games, and you know, you, you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to make some third down conversions. Uh, Memphis is only 47 percent on the year, and you're going to have to you know play sound defense. I mean, Memphis gives up, you know, quite a bit uh, of yardage on uh, on defense. Yeah, but to me, just just 
first and foremost, what I want to see Memphis, just stop shooting yourself on the foot. You know, stop the fumbles. You know, stop. I know every game there's going to be something, but you can't have, you know, two-plus fumbles, you know, five, you know, plus uh, false starts or flags. It's just so many mental mistakes the past uh, three weeks just – for, for God's sakes, stop shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> yeah, Memphis is, comes into this game minus seven in turnover margin, and I didn't have a chance to really dig back, but I got to think that's as bad as it's been here since probably 2013. And, you know, we talk all the time, guys, about, yes, obviously turnovers are bad, um, okay? Turnovers are bad, but a lot of our problem has been the win. You know, when the turnovers happen, you know, we're getting momentum and we go down and we – fumbled away or we throw an interception or we just we make kind of the wrong play at the wrong time and and to Larry to your point I just counted there were 29 drives in this last in the game against Tulsa between the two teams I will guarantee you there will not be 29 drives in this one Um, because you're right if if Memphis goes out and they let's say Navy comes out and scores and then Memphis goes three and out like Memphis may not see the ball the rest of the quarter. Like that, that's what people don't understand is so tough about Navy. And Mike kind of touched on it too. You give the football up, and I mean Navy's done this to us a half dozen times. I can think of where there was one time a couple of years ago they got the ball at the like the eleven or thirteen minute mark of the second quarter, and they were getting the ball in the second half, and our our defense was on the sideline for like twenty eight minutes a game or twenty four minutes of game time. Like, it was ridiculous, and that is what Memphis – you know, obviously we got to cut down turnovers, but to me – and we won the time of possession battle, and we talked about that in the first segment, you know, finally this year, but we have got to find a way to stay on the field and not – you know, we – Navy wants to play keep away, but, Larry, we've got to play a version of keep away too where we don't just go three and out, kick the ball to them, get the ball back, four plays, and kick the ball again. Like, we, we just can't do that. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you can't do, like, you know, the Rockets, you know, one, two, three, kick. I, you, if we do that against Navy, we're dead. You can't have three and outs. You have to, like you say, you, you, you play a little bit of keep away. Um, I, there was, I, I forget what year it was. It was Ferguson's, I think it was Ferguson's last year. Like, we went and we ended up, we didn't win the possession battle, but we were really close. And that's how you beat Navy. Like, you kind of make them eat their own medicine a little bit, take, t- hang on to the ball, drive down, score a touchdown. Because remember, if you get a touchdown, you get a two-touchdown lead on Navy, that's really tough for them to come back from. Not impossible, but really hard. Because they, like you say, John, like they need seven, eight, nine minutes to score in general. Like they don't, they don't have big, big, big plays. And so you're exactly right, John. That That's, that's where we've got to um, play smart, which is something, frankly, guys, the last th- three weeks we have played about as dumb a football as we have played in probably since 2013. Would you not agree? I mean, at various points. Yeah. But for three consecutive games to play that badly and just dumb mistakes, pressing, I, we, we cannot play like that. Navy is the one team. They are going to play smart. They don't. They don't make that many mistakes. They just don't. And you've got to play a really good brand of football to beat them. 
disciplined and smart. And that's just, I mean, and that is the exact opposite of how we played recently. I mean, well, it's fact. But, but I will say, and, and Tiger fans are going to malign me for this, but if you look at this defense, Brian, the fact that we've played three down linemen all year and shelled up eight, like that's perfect against Navy because you just have to play. We talk about it all the time. It's death by a thousand paper cuts, but you have to play assignment football. And I just wonder maybe is this the game that Memphis gets their defensive footing? Is Memphis's defense – maybe in a weird way, built a little more for this game than they are some of the other ones? You would think so, but I don't know. Until they actually stop somebody, you know, I'm like my hand is like, you know, rolling around that panic button. I mean, it's just like if it was like a wine glass, I'm like, Putting my finger around the edge and listen to it sing. I mean, I'm I'm very very close. Spiders fan syndrome. <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's that though, Larry, because you no, look at I what happened. So. What happened last no, it's week not. at Tulsa? No, it's not. I'm kidding. Yeah, we held Tulsa's yeah, quarterback to a, eleven of twenty one, and they gashed us for what two hundred and I can't even find the number. It was so big, but and, I mean, and we, most of it was like we talked about earlier. Most of it was in the fourth quarter when you desperately needed a stop. Yeah, 235 I mean, when, yards, and, yeah. And, and most of it was because I was there and I I, had, I got the stats at the half. I mean, we owned every statistic at the half and even going into the fourth quarter. And yet um, we, we just could not stop them. When we, when we were trying to come back in the fourth quarter, we could not stop them. And, um, and if you play like that against Navy, John – you you know you know what your rule is with Navy, okay? You got to stop the dive, right? And 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 you can't let them hit you with the wheel routes. Yeah, because and, 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 right, that's all they right. have. I mean, that's that's all they doing. have. Yeah, and that's all they have. I mean, yes, but it, you're right because they are predicated on one. What has to happen with Navy first is the dive has to work, right? Because if if they don't run the dive, um. And I talked to Mike about it before he went on, but I watched today. He does a great job of of breaking down like he's got individual plays that shows how Navy is an option team that's not running the option. But with Navy, if the dive doesn't work, the Navy's in serious trouble because you can't rely on pitching it out every play or the quarterback keeping on the option because if the dive doesn't work, then there's nothing to suck the safeties and the backers in, so the wheel route will never work. And, and so you have to make Navy uh, a double option team, and you have to take that dive away. And, you know, Navy's done some things this year a little different. I've seen a couple shotgun plays for them, and, and they're, they're trying some different things. And, and my and, and although Coach Ken is an excellent coach and doesn't need this, this old fat dude telling him what to do, you know, Brian, we talk about this all the time with Memphis having an identity crisis. For Christ's sake, Navy does not have an identity crisis. They're an option team. They need to run the dive, pitch the ball, hit the wheel routes. And they just, for whatever reason, are not doing that. Yeah, and uh, Mike, you know, I, I think he was alluding to it. Just, it, I think it's a lack of execution, you know, for, for whatever reason. But, um, you know, to me, the, the team that wins this game is the one who executes, you know, better. Because uh, both teams have their issues, and you know both teams, you know, for for whatever reason, loves to shoot themselves in the foot this year, and it's just, it's the team that just finally 
you know, it starts pay attention to the detail and starts executing. That's the team that's going to win. All right. So Larry, we'll start with you. We will look up at the scoreboard at Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium. I can still call it that. Uh, at let's see, six thirty-five. We'll, we'll go with nine forty-one, and it will say twenty-eight seventeen Navy. I have no. Um, I just don't believe in this Memphis team. I, I saw them firsthand uh, at Tulsa. I watched them play. I, I, I'd love to be wrong, but I, I, I just I just don't think that Memphis has uh, the ability to play disciplined enough football to win this football game. Brian? <clears throat> I've gone back and forth and back and forth. I, I think Memphis has more talent, and that's the only – reason i'm picking memphis I, and i think it's going to be a close game you know I, i'm going to say you know 28 24 memphis but i can easily very easily see you know flip that and, and see navy winning i mean this this 28 uh to 24 prediction if there was a like a confidence level my confidence level is a one yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah so i i I kind of get where you're both coming from, but I think this game is going to be a blowout, but I don't know which way it's going to go because huh. on one, on one side, you have Memphis that is much more talented than Navy. We have, we're bigger, stronger, faster than they are. Uh, we have, you know, more experience on the defensive side of the ball than their offense does. We have, you know, we have Calvin Austin and Sean Dykes and a freshman quarterback who grew up a whole lot last week in Tulsa, um, kind of mm-hmm. coming along here. My concern is along – it's a, the two places that have bothered me all year long, the offensive line and defensive line up front. That's where I worry. And and that's where, you know, if Memphis is getting cut down by those god-awful freaking cut blocks uh, and not get – you know, you got to get J.J. Russell to the ball carrier. And, and frankly, he's got to make the right decision. And that's, that's part of Brian. What I think Brian's talking about is the – you know, the execution has been the question. And, and the thing about Navy is you got to make the right play every single time because the one time that you don't take the right assignment or you try to go help, as I had a very smart college football analyst tell me one time, you only get in trouble when you're trying to help somebody. If you do your job, then you have to trust that guy's going to do his and don't leave to go do his job because then nobody's going to do your job. And that's always kind of stuck with me, especially in this game. And I know Memphis fans are going to be upset with me, but I don't. I've got this like 35-14. Like, I just don't think it's going to be close because I think Memphis has has to challenge themselves. Like, that's, you know, we can talk about the coaching deficiencies or, or whatever and the play calling and all that, but at some point, uh, Doc Holliday even said this on Twitter, at some point, you have to motivate yourself and challenge yourself because Navy's going to come in here and they're going to punch you in the mouth. Like that's just who they are. If we thought Temple hit us in the mouth or Tulsa, like, no, like Navy is going to come in here and smack you in the face and take your lunch money. What are you going to do about it? This Memphis team has shown me no ability to handle that. Like, because the problem is we we can't do what we did last week if we go down 35-21 the game's over because we're not going to get the ball yes. back three times in eight and a half minutes like we're right. just not and that is my worry and I, I just think Navy 
is there. They've improved and Memphis has regressed. And, you know, yep. frankly, the other thing it comes down to with me is when you have two sort of evenly matched teams and one's trying to go a different direction than the other one, I always give the edge to the experienced coaching staff in that situation. And that's not, you know, I'm not knocking Coach Silverfield for this or whatever, but this is his second. I am. <laughs> this is his actual first full year as a head football coach. And, you know, Coach Ken's been at Navy forever. And you just can't, you can't replace that, especially, Brian, if you're right and you get late in the game and you got to make a decision. And Memphis has struggled in the kicking game. We were told that, well, it was Joe Doyle's fault because he's a punter that was kicking. Well, the kicker kicker came in and missed two field goals too. So, you know, I just – I don't see it, guys. I, I want to be wrong like Larry, but I just think Memphis gets run off the field on Thursday. The reason why I think it's close because five of the last six times these teams have played have been 14 points or less. I mean, the only time yeah, – it's a different team, Brian. I'm sorry. I know. I know. But but, uh, you but know, Navy's when, different when too. At, yes. And you well, just, yeah. The, the trends of the, the – when these two teams play, they almost always play close. That's why I still think it's going to be a close game. Boy, Brian is the voice of reason and the ray of sunshine on an I otherwise. hope he's right. I do too. With I want to be confidence wrong. level of number one. That's yeah. it. Well, and I'll be blunt. My confidence <laughs> level of Navy blowing Memphis out is about a two or a three, but I just don't think the game's going to be close, and I just can't see Memphis blowing anybody out. Like, because here's the other thing. I just don't think they have the poise to do that, John. They, they, they look, and we're going to talk, you know, we, we, we talked about they, they, they had things going in the right direction against Tulsa multiple times. And, and, and honestly, um, they, they just, they just cannot, um, sustain it. They don't have that, um, killer in them for whatever reason. It's just not there, guys. Yeah. I don't and, know. I, I don't know what's missing. I, I don't know. I, I can't put my finger on it. Well, and to me, this game could end up very much like the UTSA game because, you know, Memphis jumped out 21 nothing, and UTSA just said, look, we're just going <laughs> to, we're just going to do what we're doing. We're going to keep running the football and we're just going to, you know, claw our way back into this thing. And, and Memphis couldn't answer. And that's just, I just, I feel like Memphis, if they make one mistake, it's just going to go downhill. And, you know, if it's, if it's 14 to three Navy at the end of the first quarter, it, it's done. Like there, cause there's no, you know, you're, you're going to get the ball at most against Navy. You can count on probably four possessions a half if you don't stop them. Right. You're like, going to get eight to ten at most. And you <laughs> and, and so if you think about it, you got to score 75% of the time. you got to score points. Yeah. You don't have to and, score touchdowns, but you got to score points 75% of the time. That's just I don't been tough. Guys, I just don't. Yeah. All right, Brian, what you got going on over on the TSR this week? Uh, we will once again take a look at the uh, PFF grades for the starters between, uh, you know, the two teams, and uh, I will have a kind of like a, a mid-season report uh, on just you know where things stand for Memphis. And uh, by, by the time you guys hear this, it'll be over probably, or actually it'll be happening because I'm planning on getting this up tomorrow. But I'll be at Memphis Madness tomorrow night uh, covering all that action. And then I will be at the Liberty Bowl on uh, Thursday covering uh, the game for TSR as uh, 
our intrepid duo here will both be traveling. So I'll, I'll kind of, I'll kind of take, the reins. I'll take the reins for Thursday and, uh, you know, looking forward to tomorrow night and, and no truth to the rumors that I am one of the musical acts. Uh, no truth to that. We couldn't come to a financial. Thank agreement. God. Well, we couldn't come to a financial agreement. It's as simple as that. Um, right. Yeah. You had to pay them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just, just don't have the money in the account for that. So, and don't forget, we've also got the uh, fall camp special still going. The $20 and 21 cents gets you a year of insight and analysis, including uh regale of Larry's playing days uh, as well. It's always part of that. Oh man. And, and let me, let me just say that, 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 that video is worth the price of admission alone. Okay, you just come and see this. I mean, the athleticism and the poise. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you you know you know you know the Manning the Manning cast. It's like that, but better. <laughs> what is it? I forget the context, but but somebody said the guy said he was Peyton Manning, or yeah, it was John Christ. He said the guy said he played like Peyton Manning when he actually played like Cooper Manning. Uh, if that gives you any. <laughs> So for the best co-co Cooper got hurt. That's right. So for the best co-co host in all the land, Larry Marley and Brian Moss, this is John Maddox signing off saying we'll talk to everybody next week. Opinions expressed on this program by our guests and hosts do not represent the opinion of their employers or the University of Memphis. This podcast is in no way endorsed or affiliated with the University of Memphis. Join us again next week for another edition of Tigers Tonight.